Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Okay, before we get started with today's episode, have you heard the awesome news? Llama Life now has an iOS app so you can take it with you wherever you go. I have been using Llama Life consistently on my computer for a year now. A year. That's unprecedented. That's like a lifetime in ADHD terms. And now with the new iOS app, I'm able to seamlessly transition between my computer and my iPhone so that my favorite little productivity coach is with me whenever I need it. So what is so special about Llama Life? Well, for starters, it's not a fancy new calendar or planner or complicated productivity management system. It's a time boxing, single tasking program that easily integrates with your already existing organizational systems. If you're like me and you struggle with time blindness, or maintaining focus throughout your day, then this is the app for you. I love Llama Life because it's simple, effective, and beautifully designed. And dare I say, it makes even the most mundane chore more fun and colorful. If you want to check out the iOS app for yourself, head to the App Store for a free trial and start enjoying that Llama Life for yourself. That mom guilt is a real thing, you know, and even though I was able to work from home and be there a lot, you know, when I was crunched for time, it would keep me up at night thinking how I had like pushed him away while I was trying to finish up a project and what have you. And that's kind of where some more of those types of unhappiness or uh, the anxiety or guilt, like that I might be messing it up. Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 45, and it completely turned my world upside down. I've been looking back at so much of my life, school, jobs, my relationships, all of it with this new lens, and it has been nothing short of overwhelming. I quickly discovered I was not the only woman to have this experience, and now I interview other women who, like me, discovered in adulthood they have ADHD and are finally feeling like they understand who they are and how to best lean into their strengths, both professionally and personally. Okay, let's jump right in with episode 134, in which I interview Abby Lane. Abby is a creative entrepreneur, furniture designer, wife, and mom to an amazing nine-year-old son. She has a nearly 20-year career designing furniture and has, for the last 12 years, successfully run her own company, Redhead Furniture Design, a freelance design firm based in Charleston, South Carolina. Abby designs residential case goods, accents, lighting, and collections for the home, partnering with many of the top furniture manufacturers in the industry. Her designs have sold well into the millions, both nationally and internationally. Abby and I talk about how a panic attack she experienced while volunteering at her son's summer camp eventually led to her ADHD diagnosis. We also talk about ADHD and overachieving, overwhelm, stress, and perfectionism. And we share some of the ways we've each learned to self-regulate when we are approaching burnout. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Abby Lane. 
All right, so let's get started. I, I'm curious, uh, how long ago were you diagnosed with ADHD and how old were you and kind of what was going on in your life at the time that really led you to start putting two and two together and thinking this could be ADHD? Sure. Well, um, more of a recent diagnosis. It's been about two years now, um, officially. And although now that I understand that I have it, <laughs> it's just making so many things make sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so diagnosis came last uh, two summers ago. Well, not the diagnosis, but kind of the event that led me to understand that I have ADHD happened two summers ago. I had decided I grew up going to a summer camp my entire childhood, and I would be what you would call like a camp kid. I, which is probably also ADHD, but I was really into it. Like the kid that would say. One time at camp, blah, 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 blah. One time at camp. So that was definitely my childhood. I went there for, I only stopped working there because I got like a real paying job, which is what I do now as a furniture designer. But that was literally, I probably could have gone two directions in my career, sticking with that or not. So um, I have a child now, he's nine, and um, he was getting old enough to be able to go to camp. And I'm very excited about sending him and been able to... Um, finally share with him some of the same things I had done. And it was a very expensive camp. Things have changed a lot since I went going there. And if you've ever looked at camps in North Carolina, they're not inexpensive to do. So I thought it might be nice to try to relive some of my camp experience as well as uh, get to have some fun with him doing um, a scholarship swap where I would work at the camp while I would um, have him get to go on scholarship. And little did I realize this is all during COVID, which also made things, apparently COVID was another area that added a lot of stress to my life because I have a medical condition that made things a little bit more scary. And so just in general, leading up, I have a full-time job. I run my own company. All these different things were happening. But when it came to the camp, apparently that was the straw that broke the camel's back because when I had gone there as a camper, you know, technology was still pretty basic. We weren't doing too much. E email was like about as far, you know, and I think maybe my last year of working there, I had a cell phone, but it was in my 20s. So it had been, what, 20, 20 years since I had been there to work it. And uh, while some things remain just the same in all the traditions, the back end was significantly more in depth, let's just say, and working at the camp and trying to still run my own company. I'm a solopreneur. So I still like I have, even though I dedicated time off, definitely kept care to limit my, what I had going on, but I still have to maintain it. So apparently the uh, idea of running the camp, uh, I was camp hostess, which meant constant phone calls, constant interruptions, constant people coming in and out. Then I had a malfunction on the computer that was making my um, computer not the mouse stop working and just start randomly clicking everything all while I'm trying to get a project done. And anyways, uh, and then lack of sleep. It's a 1920s building with no AC. And apparently I'm not used to not having good sleeping conditions. And it was really hot at night. And throw in four days of really limited sleep and trying to get out of a working condition that wasn't the best scenario. 
realizing it was triggering and making some things happen. Like I could tell something didn't feel right. I had too much stress, too many things going on and lots of interruptions and more than I'll get into here. But um, all that led to my very first panic attack, which um, was a very scary event because of a previous condition that I have. I have in my past lived through a medical um, aortic dissection and this panic attack, some physical things that were happening to me prior to reminded me of some things that happened just before my panic, my uh, actual aortic dissection that I had when I was 25. And so then the panic attack turned into PTSD fun um, things. But all that being said, um, how did I get diagnosed? Well, after all this, finally getting things figured out, I removed myself from the camp situation. Um, it was a very kind of crazy time, but I was d- discussing everything with a good friend of mine and, um, she has ADHD and she just assumed I knew, <laughs> I don't know if that happens to you a lot, but, um, people just, oh yeah, we d- I just knew you knew and you just weren't doing, you know, stuff about it. And I was like, I had never heard of it. <laughs> I mean, I only knew of like little boys having ADHD, but yeah, definitely wasn't even a thing on my radar, but now that she mentioned it, and so then I immediately, because it was such a scary event and such a big, pivotal thing that had happened in my life, nothing like that had ever happened where my I, my brain had kind of just given up and like tired out and said, I can't do anymore. It was kind of a really scary experience, that whole, that whole thing, and never want that to happen again. So I immediately went and got various help and got uh, started going down the role of getting diagnosed, found a significantly better doctor that she is like fantastically well-rounded and had to do all that. I mean, it took the course of getting my first initial idea of it. It took over well over a year to get everything kind of more streamlined and in tune. But um, things have been great now that I've kind of got my head around it, understanding what it is that was maybe amping things up. I think my entire life, I probably had been dealing with everything just fine. And having my child, that added a lot more elements to my day-to-day life, um, which was awesome. And I loved my job and I loved doing all this stuff, but I was always like a more, more, more kind of person. And, you know, I think when COVID came along, it was just kind of like, yeah, (laughs) too much. Anyways, that's kind of jumping right into that. But yeah, that's kind of how I found out. Uh, So wait, so your friend who had ADHD, what was it about the experience with camp and the panic attack? And and, because there's so much there, right? There's the sleep deprivation, there's the heat, there's the sensory stuff, but also the the triggering of the, I guess it was the the fact that the symptoms felt so similar to when you had this experience when you were 25. Okay. Also, so the aortic dissection, was that, what is that? Can you just explain to me what that is? Is that a heart attack? What happened in that moment? Sort of, and not, not a heart attack. So essentially, and I'm not a doctor, but um, basically there's the, like, tar- the tubes that come off of your heart that where the flap that would make the blood go in and out and like not go backwards. And then the tube part of it that comes off of that, that is your aorta. There's like three different, I think chambers or I don't, I should know. 
I should know. But <laughs> it only happened to me. But it turns out I have a genetic condition called Marfan syndrome, which I did not know I had. And um, one of the conditions is that any tissue that is um, like eye tissue, other things have a mutation in it and make it so that um, they are having, they're not perfectly connected. And so what happens in an aortic dissection is that your aorta starts to essentially unravel and then blood is like filling into your chest. I should have died. In fact, it's kind of I still stand out to my uh, the cardiac surgeon out of Duke that saved my life. I think I stand out to him a lot because it's it's a pretty rare day for him to actually get a real living person who didn't just die in five seconds because that's 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 what typically happens. If you have an aortic dissection, you're dead. So miracle. I don't know. <laughs> wow. And this happened to you while you were working at. The camp. Yeah. So I was just sitting at my desk back when I was 25. That just happened when I was sitting at my desk and we were chatting with another coworker about where to go for birthday lunch. And what was reminding me for weeks prior to that, I had been feeling like heavy chested. And for months prior to that, I thought I had been maybe get developing um, adult asthma. I've been playing a lot of ultimate fris- frisbee and was in the best shape of my life. And that's actually what the doctor thought maybe is what saved my life because some of the other, uh, because everything had been kind of working hard for a while. He was just thinking that maybe that's what siphoned off the bleeding and, and in my particular case and made it so I was able to get, I even drove myself to the hospital. It was just such a mess. But <laughs> that's a whole other topic, you know. Um, but yeah, so that, uh, I forgot your question. See, there's ADHD. So, okay. So I just wanted to get a better sense of how traumatic this experience was when you were 25, because it was like this, it obviously triggered something in you having this burnout state. And so I was just trying to make the connection about what it was about the burnout that then triggered for you this, the, you know, similar reaction to then having this panic attack. The similarities were, I was having chest tightness, and I think a lot of that now, I think it was maybe anxiety that was happening, and I'm learning a lot about how that might work, but understanding that I was in this weird, I was very exhausted. I mean, it was like five, six days of really no sleep and not really figuring out how to both make it so my child wouldn't get kicked out of summer camp, as well as still understanding that I needed to do something for myself to get out of where this bad situation that just wasn't working out. You know, you go in with the best intentions and I was really excited and it was a fail. But anyways, so I think the chest tightness was some anxiety stuff. And then I think the lack of sleep, I was sitting at the desk trying to do the morning routine and I was literally passing out. Like I could feel myself sitting still and just wanting to pass out, which is not something that has ever happened. Um, so that would be, it was very uncommon. And then I realized that I, that the people at the camp didn't know, I hadn't really gone into detail about what, what would ever happen if I was, you know, it's on my little health form that I filled out, but like, I knew no one had read it. And so part of the panic attack, I think too, was like making sure that they knew that if something happened to me, this was serious and this needed to get communicated very quickly. And then like the adrenaline of trying to communicate all of that information, like it was just a, yeah. 
I don't know. But if anybody's ever experienced a panic attack, um, it was uh, a surprising thing to be in. Because it wasn't just like a minimal panic attack. This was like a full-on, full-blown, like I thought I was dying kind of thing. So it was really interesting. Kind of scary experience. And and so yeah, so then I'm fascinated to find to figure out the connection then between this experience and how a friend of yours with ADHD was able to suggest it. Yeah, so that was kind of a huge experience, obviously. And then that wasn't necessarily completely isolated. Then trying to get myself out like home safely and that like there was a whole it was probably a good two weeks of trying to like well, a week and of trying to like figure out how to safely get home and get out of the situation and all that. But then the rest of the summer, like I, I, once I was home and removed from that situation, like while I was still needing to like recover from what had happened, like mentally and emotionally and all, and di- you know, digest it all, I was safe and I knew that that wasn't a problem. But then I started noticing that like, I think I was really paying a lot of attention to what was bringing my energy up and down and understanding that there was something going on where if certain things were happening, like it would almost give me like a buzzing feeling, like just high energy. And then I started really taking notes of, cause I wanted to understand what the heck had happened to me. Right. Cause it was so scary. And so I started taking a lot of notes and uh, keeping track of what things were bringing that energy up and what things were low. And so the friend is, I ended up having a nice chat with her. She was helping. She knew I was had just been totally overwhelmed. Like we had discussed that a little bit. And she was over at my house helping me organize my office because I just felt like I needed to have things like calm. It was too much, too much stimuli, too much excitement, too much everything was happening around my life. And so she was helping me. That's one of the things that she's just naturally good at. She's one of those organizer friends. And so we were organizing things and she was talking to me about stuff and she just meant when I was kind of describing all the things that I was noticing that were making the energy up and down. And I feel like making that list was really helpful. And cause I didn't even know what, to, I mean, I didn't even know that this was something to look for. Now it's funny. Cause now once I, once she mentioned it, I started listening to some podcasts and I was like, Oh, <laughs> this is me. So that was really interesting. But um, yeah, so um, that was definitely a, a kind of harsh way to find out that you have, this thing um, turns out, I mean, it, it makes so much sense. And I looking back on it all now with, you know, 2020 vision, ha COVID. Um, <laughs> I would say that, you know, the writing was on the wall for a long time, but I've always been a super high achiever and really pretty smart and can usually do and handle most things. Even if I might get a little frantic with some of all the amount of things I might say yes to and get myself into trouble for doing too much, but it always works out. And I've always been able to work through it. I've never gotten, I've never been in a situation where anything I had done had like affected my health in such a way, which was, I mean, sleep is apparently incredibly important. Hey friend, if there's one thing I've learned about ADHD over the last few years is that we can thrive with the right combination of accountability, planning, 
coaching, and peer support. Knowing all this, I set out to create the ultimate all-in-one coaching and accountability community for adults with ADHD or learning disabilities. I knew I couldn't do it alone, so I joined forces with one of my favorite ADHD coaches, Alex Gilbert of Capable Consulting, and together we launched the ADHD Lounge. The lounge was created as a safe place for neurodivergent adults away from other social media, where we offer live group calls, co-working and body doubling every weekday for accountability, focus, and skill development. We have weekly and monthly goal planning sessions to keep yourself on track. We also have one-on-one office hours with myself and Alex, and of course, friendship and lots of peer support. We have three different membership levels to meet you where you're at. So if you're looking for an affordable way to stay connected, productive, and accountable, while also having regular access to ADHD coaching and expertise, then make sure to come join me in the ADHDlounge.com. Again, that's the ADHDlounge.com. And as a listener of the Women in ADHD podcast, you can get 30% off your first month with the code PODCAST30. So head to the ADHDlounge.com and use the code PODCAST30 to get 30% off your first month. During the early days of my diagnosis, as I was deep into hyper-focus ADHD research mode, I kept searching for some kind of all-in-one, everything you ever needed to know about ADHD and women handbook that I could reference and keep at my fingertips, but I never really found anything that suited me. That's why I've taken everything I've learned about ADHD in women and adults who are socialized as girls, and I've gathered it into a concise, easy-to-access, self-guided, and self-paced course so you can feel like you've got everything you need at your fingertips. It's called, Hey, It's ADHD, and it has everything you need to start loving your brain and living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. I built this course to be helpful wherever you are on your ADHD journey. I am so excited to finally be able to offer this course, and I truly hope this will help you develop a deeper understanding of your ADHD brain and how to embrace it as you build yourself a toolkit for your own life. So head over to womenandadhd.com and click on the Hey, It's ADHD course tab for more information and to get started. It's so true, right? Like, and I think that's one of the things with ADHD and how so many of us dismissed it as didn't even know what it was or like it didn't even enter as a possibility because that's not, we're not relating to the hyperactivity element. It's that's just sort of woven into the overachieving and the burnout and the anxiety and the depression. <laughs> like, like all of that stuff is what we relate to, which is that feeling of like treading water and treading water and treading water and not realizing until something happens, some, you know, some catalyst comes along to, to destroy this, this house of cards that we had built up. And then you start to look and realize like, oh, okay, like I didn't realize how tightly wound I was and all, you know, you have to start really like looking back, looking over everything now with this fine tooth comb. And like you said, like, I just had to like do less and minimize and like start, it's almost like I, you know, I, I feel like COVID was an elimination diet for a lot of us in the way that we had to just like everything just stopped. And then we've had to bring things back one at a time, but it's like not very often in your life where do you get an experience where you are kind of stopped dead in your tracks like that? Well, and it was interesting there because in my world, things didn't stop. In fact, I was prior to COVID happening. I for work, work wise, I'm super successful. So that's awesome. And part of being a freelancer is you get more customers. And I had been developing and getting more and more customers for years. And um, there was no break immediately rolling in from one thing to the next. You know, my son's at home and he's getting, you know, it's like, it was an interesting time. So I was at, it was, that's par- partially like I was definitely trying to figure out ways to 
lessen the load prior to COVID. But then it's like, ha ha, fooled you. Let's throw in a pandemic. Um, let's see how we can really push someone over. <laughs> Not really over. But. That's so fascinating. You don't really think about how furniture design is affected by everybody being at home, but like, absolutely, right? What a huge pivot for in terms of, you know, we were all online shopping. We were all... <laughs> We were all, yeah, creating all of these home offices. That's so interesting. Yeah, the the one benefit I had was that I had a lot of stuff. You know, I've been doing, I've been a furniture designer now for 20 years. And so I have a lot of work in the pipe, like that I've been selling for a while. So I get, the way I get paid is um, like the each for each dresser that sells, I'll make, you know, some percentage of it. And so um, I was real thankful that everyone did want to buy furniture because I sold a lot of furniture during that time. It was great. <laughs> so that was good. Uh, now your son, how old was your son at the beginning of COVID? Was he in first grade? His kindergarten year got interrupted. Wow, that's young. I was always so great. My son was in the third grade and I was so grateful he wasn't any younger. It was so like just to suddenly become the teacher, the chef, the housekeeper, all of those things while still trying to do a business was so hard for so many of us. But now was but he's been diagnosed with ADHD too, right? He did. And actually, I don't think I kind of had wasn't sure I knew something I wasn't sure if he had more just anxiety or what, but now that I got, once I learned what my thing was, I was like, that's what it is. And then I got diagnosed first and then um, we had him tested and he, he is as well, but it's, I think we both kind of have more, it sounded like we got them set to, we got tested at separate places, but we, they, it was interesting because the profile was kind of similar between the two of us. So we have both have giftedness. And so there's that side of things. And so we're off the charts in some areas. And then on the other side, on other sides, we're like surprisingly low. And so it's not the, I was told by both the person who diagnosed my son, as well as myself that yes, we have it, but it's not necessarily like the same presentation, variation. Everybody's like spectrum or whatever presentation. That's a better word to say. It's not necessarily the same presentation that, like everyone has. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Oh, yeah. I've talked about this on the podcast, too. Like my son and my daughter, I never in a million years would have thought my daughter had ADHD. I was diagnosed and my son and I are like cut from the same cloth. Immediately, I was like, he and I have the same issues with with concentration and uh, recall and a lot of the working memory stuff, like his executive dysfunction and mine are very, very similar. And so immediately I was like, yes, he has it. Never until I started this podcast would I have thought my daughter had it because she's just very, you know, very, very high functioning, very, um, I hate that term, but I, I, I can never think of what else to use, but like just did really, really well in school, is doing really, really well in school, high honors, uh, just very together, but at the same time, right? But then like once she started entering high school, I think with the combination of COVID and high school, her anxiety was so high that she started having panic attacks and she was having panic attacks. Like the first time she had a panic attack at school and I had to pick her up, she had, it was because she found out she got a 75 in in French class. And I was like, that is not normal. Like, 
70, that's not something to get upset about. So we re, but it was, re, it was interviewing so many women who were diagnosed in adulthood and seeing this pattern of, you know, high achieving, high honors, doing really, really well in school, but like white knuckling it and then developing this compensation, right? This perfectionism and this anxiety and seeing that in my daughter and being like, oh, this is what, Okay, so this is the other side, uh, you know, uh, this other presentation of ADHD that we're not seeing in women who are able to kind of keep it together. And so, yeah, and so then they were both diagnosed with anxiety, so <laughs> ADHD and generalized anxiety. And I'm like, good, you're welcome. <laughs> and I think, I think in my case, too, a lot of where things it's like that the anxiety side of it maybe kicked in more once I was a mom because then I love what I do. I'm good at what I do. I thrive. I'm crushing it as a furniture designer. I found my thing. I hyper focus. I lean in like I'm really good at it, but I'm also a wife. I'm a mom. I want to be a super mom as well. And that mom guilt is a real thing, you know, and even though I was able to work from home and be there a lot, you know, when I was crunched for time, it would keep me up at night thinking how I had like pushed him away while I was trying to finish up a project and what have you. And that's kind of where some more of those types of unhappiness or uh, the anxiety or guilt, like that I might be messing it up. It's been funny because I would say in life, I'm pretty laid back. But like when it comes to like, I think I'm a mama bear. <laughs> I'm like, don't want to, I want to be the best mom that could be in existence. So, <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think that's a, a theme that kind of wo is woven throughout a lot of these conversations with, with perfectionism and people pleasing and some of those other qualities that a lot of us develop and that desire to be like the best at everything. And like, where is that coming from? And I think a lot of it is a sense of hypervigilance, right? I think a lot of it comes from, from the trauma of growing up on undiagnosed and really feeling like it's a control issue, right? Because you think about all the ways in which we try to get control in our life when we feel generally out of control with having not have this diagnosis. And so I think it's very interesting to me how many of us have that control, um, it, mode that we get into of like wanting to be the best at everything because it's like this is how we prove our worth and this is how we can kind of feel like we are you know um what's the i'm trying to think of another word for control but <laughs> anyway i think it's very interesting to me because it's a lot of it is very similar to the hypervigilance which is the number one trait or symptom of ptsd and so it's like you know looking at trauma and like what traumas do we experience as women? What traumas do we experience as undiagnosed neurodivergent women and all and then as mothers, right? Like it's it's unpacking all of that all at once with this diagnosis, which no wonder is, you know, is is so fascinating and overwhelming. <laughs> I think that's being getting the diagnosis has been one of the best things because it helps me understand. Like, I don't know if you've ever been in a scenario where you're just not clicking with someone. And like, I got bullied a lot in middle school, high school, and I, I'm sure it had something to do with my neurodivergence. I'm sure I was doing stuff that was different and off-putting to others and um, not, not being aware of it. And I feel like some of those experiences where you're just not 
vibing with that person. And so then they may have the pushback. So I think that might've been some of the, where some of the bullying, bullying stemmed from when I was a kid, but now as an adult, like I might be in a business setting or even just, you know, talking to a neighbor and you're just like, I feel awkward because I can tell things aren't right. Like I don't feel comfortable around you in this moment. And I don't know why I don't feel comfortable, but I don't feel like I can be myself or whatever. Now I kind of know it's like, oh, somehow the ADHD mannerisms or whatever are like, you know, we're not vibing. But I now want to diagnose like all of my friends because I'm pretty sure most of them are, <laughs> have some level of, of it neurodivergence, whether it's something or something else. And I'm like, oh, yes. Yep. Yep. Parents. Yep. Yep. <laughs> right. Well, I think it's why so many of us are always confused by the am I an extrovert or an introvert? Because there are people that I'm drawn to and really relate to and feel very outgoing and very connected to. But then there's also people that are, I feel incredibly uncomfortable around <laughs> and realizing that that has a lot more to do with how we communicate as neurodivergent versus neurotypical as opposed, you know, and that there was always this like weird unspoken vibe that I could never uh, articulate or address. And now being like, oh, you know, being able to realize that this is has more to do with what are our topics of interest and how do we even you know, how do we even talk? How do we even relate to each other? And and I think that's been really eye-opening to realize that there are significant differences in terms of how people who are neurodivergent communicate and why we are so comfortable and drawn to each other and why a lot of the friends that we've had over the years, uh, if, we, if we're still friends 20, 30 years later, we probably are all neurodivergent for that reason. Yeah, no, it's, that's very true. And then the flip side of that is that now I've learned to just kind of let it go. Like, I don't need to ruminate on why a thing might have gone wrong for, because that, that, you know, I definitely have had that affliction since a child where like, I used to like, dice, try to dissect every single thing that had happened and try to like learn from it and wouldn't necessarily like focus on it in a bad way, but more so wanting to problem solve. Cause I would say I'm super into problem solving. And so I would just like crunch on those things. Well, now it's just like, I just have a different mindset now. And now I'm just like, Oh, well that was probably just from this moving on. <laughs> right. And it's like, no big deal. It is what it is. I love myself. Good job, Abby. And then I just move along. And it's interesting just that having no, I feel like having the knowledge has been so powerful for me because it's like, I just don't focus on these things that I don't need. They, it is what it is. You know, you just move forward. So that's been sweet. Yeah, I feel like I, I often use the like river analogy for myself where I'm like, I no longer feel like I'm trying to force things or treading water or swimming upstream. It's like you said, like it's a, when you're not in a state of constantly treading water, you're able to see these moments where you're sort of like, oh, okay, this is, I'm not going to force this. I'm not going to try to jam this into work. Like this is just not going to happen. And I think that that minimizes a lot of our sense of anxiety and a lot of that sense of what's wrong with me and all of the, the shame that comes around all of that. This episode is brought to you by Loop Earplugs. Loop Earplugs are my ultimate companion to a calmer and more focused life. If you're also an adult with ADHD, autism, or sensory issues, rest assured Loop Earplugs are designed with us in mind. Whether you're at your favorite coffee shop or in your office cubicle or simply at home with your kids, with their advanced noise reduction technology, Loop Earplugs gently lower the volume without blocking out the world completely. They're made from soft hypoallergenic materials that are comfortable for extended wear. They fit snugly in 
in your ears, ensuring you can wear them discreetly throughout the day. Plus, they come with a sleek carrying case, making them convenient to take with you wherever you go. Now that I'm in grad school, I love to use the Engage Plus loops whenever I'm walking around campus. They're specifically designed to reduce the level of sound entering my ear without completely blocking out all noise. My teenager loves her quiet loops for studying, and my son loves his Engage Kids loops for short intervals like riding the school bus or taking tests at school. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get 10% off your order when you visit loopearplugs.com slash womenADHD. That's loopearplugs.com slash womenADHD, and you can find that link in the episode show notes. Your life, your volume. So you had mentioned um, in the bullying, but is there anything when you looked back after your diagnosis, when you looked back at your childhood, were you like, oh, the signs were clearly there all along? Yeah, um, I mean, like some of the things I I was pretty um, adventurous as a kid and reckless, essentially. And like I was into the camp thing, as I, as we talked about. And my, I was uh, at home alone a lot in the evenings because my mom was a flight attendant and my dad worked late. And so I just filled time up with stuff. And like I grabbed some rope out of the garage and would learn how to rappel out of the window of my house. Like it was just like I was perfectly safe. I had learned how to do it at camp. But yeah, I mean, like, I tell that story to people. They're like, what? I definitely was, uh, I'm very motivated by money. I was um, always an entrepreneur, um, like, even, again, at the camp. See, I'm back in the camp world. I would, like, bring string to wrap people's hair and get $5 to do it. And then I was real smart one year, and I went to the craft store and got, like, little big bobs that would go on to it, and I would charge, like, 50 cents for each little charm. I was making money. Um, so that part's kind of funny. Um, but we moved around a lot. I, I grew up moving around from place to place. So I think maybe one of the reasons why it wasn't ever picked up on, um, my favorite years, I lived in Puerto Rico for third and fourth grade, no, fourth and fifth grade, excuse me. And I mean, I think it was kind of like a paradise of fun things to do that were just go crazy and have fun and explore and kept me from standing out in the, in like a bad way because, there was just so many fun things. And I think a lot of the kids that went down there and that had parents who they were probably, I would have been thought, th- reflecting on that, they're probably having some neurodivergence too, because those friends were the, I was super popular. I had, it was like, I had found my people. This was great. And then when we moved back to the States, it was a big shift going from being really popular to not. <laughs> and outright like picked out as uh, not of course, those are also the formidable years of middle school. So, you know, I was a tall, skinny redhead with braces and <laughs> loud mouth and I'm a loud talker. And I'm sure I did all I just it, it was just a whole mess of all the things that could be picked on. Yeah, right. Uh, that's so interesting. I remember somebody once telling me that, like, if you ask somebody what their favorite memory is from childhood, it almost always involves one of both being outside and having no adults around. And I always found that so interesting because it's so true. Like, all of our favorite memories are for, usually involved both of those two qualities. And I'm like, that's not something our kids ever get anymore. Uh, very, very rarely. Also, I think the word you were looking for before was inhibition, was it? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I know I have those moments all the time where I'm like, I, I, you talk around a word and it's like, ah, I know what it is. Um, yeah. 
Uh, that's so interesting because I do think inhibition and, and impulsivity and and creativity, right? Like I, they're all connected in terms of that act now, think later <laughs> mentality that I think can work really well in our favor, especially as entrepreneurs, as creatives. Like I think there there is that that lack of second guessing, that really like moving forward and going with your gut, and that I think benefits us a lot. But then you think of you see sort of the the other side of that same impulse, which is the um, the spending and uh, (laughs) uh, trying to think of some of the other ways in which it could impact us negatively. Um, Yeah, and as a positive side has probably been one of the that impulsivity and that, you know, inhibition, like not worrying about what might happen that uh, is probably one of the reasons I'm super successful as a freelancer, because I didn't mind just cold calling and hopping in to go um, talk to a CEO of some company and like having my book and being like, hello, Um, did it all the time. And if they said no, just moved on. And it was just not something that was worrying to me. But then when I try to, I do a lot of mentoring and it's just been really, until I it's funny because I'd always tell people in the mentoring side, like, you got to take these steps. You've got to do it. And now that I am diagnosed, I'm like, oh, that's probably a lot more difficult for a neurotypical person. Like, they, that's going to be a lot harder. They're not just going to as easily go for it and maybe get – I almost would get energy from it. I would be like, you know, whether it went good or bad, I would feel like hyper afterwards. Like, yeah, I did it. You know, I'd get like this – kind of like when you win a game or something, you know, a, a sport game or something like that. But – yeah, it's kind of, um, but that would be kind of where as an adult, it's been a benefit to be able to hone it into that kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, right. I mean, I think looking back over your experience, especially in your industry, what are some of the qualities that you you attribute to ADHD? Being good, the hyper focus for sure. Um, you know, it's interesting because so many people talk about not being able to get their work in on time and all that. And I was the opposite when I studied industrial design in college, I was the, I never had an overnight, like a, uh, you know, sleepless night where I didn't get the job done. In fact, the only time we ever got an extension on a project was the time that I told the teacher, like, I wasn't able to get it done. And he's like, class, stop. Everyone gets an extension. And it was because I hadn't gotten it done. And he knew that if I hadn't gotten it done, then like, it was an impossible deadline. So that... (laughs) So that's been kind of interesting, but I mean, I think it's that, I think it was that hyper-focus and I figured out, I'm a, um, I don't know what this is about my brain, but I've learned that some other um, folks in the creative world do this too, but I have to have either like an old television show playing or um, music or something. And when I have that playing in the background, especially if it's something I haven't seen before or that I have seen before, I can just like put that on on the side and it will like put me in total focus. It's really weird. I can't write an email or I have to turn it off to do that. But if when I'm drawing, if I have that going, I can just stay there for hours. And for whatever reason, that combo seems to keep me um, visually because I'm on the visual side of things visually focused. Yeah, I know, right? It's so interesting. I had had a, a previous guest articulate it once really well, where she was saying that like, there's this part it occupies the part of your brain that is distractible, right? So if you can like keep that part of your brain, and I, I feel like it's a very neurodivergent thing to talk about our brain in as though it's like <laughs> has these different parts to it and they're all battling with each other. And I always say, you know, we talk about our brains in third person, which I always think is interesting too, where it's like with this petulant roommate 
right? Um, but you know, this idea that there's like this section of your brain that is highly distractible, and if you can, if you can actively occupy that part of your brain, we can enter into this intense focus with a lot of the other, you know, something that's a little not quite using the same section of your brain, right? Like I think about that with doodling is is such a perfect example of how we are able to anchor ourselves to to a task. Yeah. And I used to do like um, friendship bracelets as a, a young person. And I'm realizing now it's so interesting. I really never thought about it like that. The way that you said the occupying your brain, I'll, have to remember, I'll remember that now and think about that. Oh yeah. I mean, whenever I'm getting into a, a show or something like, oh yeah, I'm just occupying that section of my brain so I can stay focused. But that's been, that's been kind of a superpower there figuring that out. I think I just happened to figure that out in college and I, kind of, I just have been using that. And thankfully my very first job, my boss, who's to say if he's neurodivergent could be, he, he was of the mindset, like it was a small company, 15 people. And, um, it was kind of the perfect place to get started in a career. And he's just like, if you get your work done, like I was probably one of the highest performing designers in his office. And he'd catch me sometimes watching TV. I was trying to be sneaky about it. I had two screens and I'd have uh, that going on. And he's like, look, I don't care. You don't have to hide that from me. He's like, if you're getting your work done as great as you're doing, like no problem, like do what you need to do. So that was really, not every boss would be so understanding. I feel like that was, I lucked out. I having such a great experience straight out of school. I know, right? And I feel like that is such a that's such a great example of of having a supervisor who is like what is even the word like output oriented versus process or method oriented because I've had supervisors who didn't care what I did, they just wanted to know, you know, they wanted me to be very by the book in terms of how I did things and, you know, I use the example of my publisher a lot who was very frustrated with the fact that I would do things last minute and <laughs> And, and so she would, you know, she would, and it was a monthly magazine. I was editing a monthly magazine. So I did a lot of things last minute. And so she would get really, really frustrated. And she wanted me to like log all the time I was working and what I was doing during that time. And it was so frustrating. I ended up quitting. Okay. So uh, the other thing I wanted to backtrack a little bit about this fascinating experience that you had at camp, because you had mentioned something about like the PTSD part that you were like constantly retelling this story. And I'm fascinated by that because I feel like, you know, we talk a lot about verbal processing and how we really sort of have a lot of, you know, we're, we're long winded. It's one of our charms, but I think we're, we were storytellers too, right? Like I think, so what was that connection for you where you were kind of reliving this experience that you had had in your twenties through sharing it or what, what, how was that experience for you? Well, I know more so in that particular experience, I think what more so led up to leading up more in the symptoms of not being able to sleep, like it helped contribute to this not being able to sleep at night. And then even post recovery, cause I didn't even get into it, but like that was a, it was probably, I had one PTSD event that happened. And then I had a second PTSD event like that next day. And then I had a third PTSD event the third day because everything was still scary. I hadn't actually gone to the hospital to get checked out. I'd gone to like an urgent care. But what would happen, let me, I I did that thing where I'm changing subjects. 
So I would, you know, be telling my husband at night, I'd call him from the camp and be telling him like all these things that were both either going right or wrong because I wanted to keep in touch with him. And then thinking about it in the past, when I was a kid, when I was at camp, I was just at camp. I didn't worry about the outside world. Like I was just, so here I'm like trying to retell him what's going on. And then I had an app idea and my husband's a software developer. And um, this, every, when everything's going so wrong, you, it's a great time to have great creative ideas because you're thrown into this new scenario. And I was like noticing, like I could create this app for communication. It was, this, that's a whole nother side thing, but that was also giving me a lot of energy. And when I was trying to explain it to him, instead of winding down for night, I would be like winding myself up and then I'd be trying to keep track of all that. Um, and so then that was happening. And then after the first PTSD event and I was trying to get myself home, uh, you know, was telling my husband about stuff, which was kind of making me relive and having that tightness of chest. And like, again, because of my heart background and my issues with the heart stuff, like it was like, didn't feel right. And when things don't feel right in my particular case, like that actually needs to get checked out. Like it's not, <laughs> it's like, it's kind of hard to being, I noticed in the healthcare industry, it was weird because here I have a legitimate thing. I know this is probably psychosomatic. Like I even knew that. I knew it probably was, but trying to get the right healthcare, get, get actually scanned so I could tell, no, like things are good. Cause that's, I get a scan every year. Like this is normal for me. So anyways, um, so then, you know, I had to leave this camp early. I had to get myself, it was bad enough that I was like, I cannot do this and trying to get myself home. So then I went to my aunt's house. She's a, a couple hours away and was telling her about the whole story and what was making me so aggravated. And the whole situation of how I left was a whole nother story. They, they handled it really poorly. <laughs> it was, it was a surprisingly, shockingly, really poorly handled situation. And that infuriated me as well, because here I know I am a grown woman who's smart and capable and him having a situation. And then he's like a count, you know, he's counseling young women who be are the counselors and putting them in very stressful situations. And I had been already noticing some of that stuff. And so I'm retelling all these things and how it was like unjust and all this. And then I felt like I needed to probably tell my mom because I knew my aunt would call my mom. And so then I was like, so then I, she wanted to know all the things. And so I was telling the story again. And then it was so, it was handled so poorly that I wanted to talk to my brother, who's a lawyer in case like I should be doing something about this. And so I was telling him the whole story. And that was like, basically hindsight, leaving me completely triggered for multiple days. And then this, the third panic attack one was actually once I had already gotten home and I had been on the, I had been talking to my brother, the whole car ride, verbal processing, like you mentioned. And um, right when I got home, he was starting to give his retort of his lawyer speak. And he's like, yeah, like this happened and that happened. And he's like, and you still haven't even been checked out. Blah, 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 blah. Like they didn't handle by calling. They should have called an ambulance and they should have done this and they should have done that. And then all of a sudden I had this realization. I was like, I never got scanned. <laughs> and that was what led to this like third panic attack. Cause it was like, he's right. I still could be on like this. I still could be, having a problem. Like I still don't feel right. So it was just kind of like, it's interesting when you're trying, people were all wanting to help. 
And then getting back into the story again, it's almost like if something like that happens, if the if you have a panic attack, like you need to tell someone once, but like trying to limit or being really strong about saying, I can't talk about this right now. Cause it was really hard for me. Like everyone was caring and they, I felt like I almost like, you know, talking about people pleasing, like almost felt like I needed to explain it to them so that they would understand. But like, that was not the time to do that. Um, so that's something else I learned along the way because it really, I, it wasn't until weeks later that it's like, Oh, and even I even had a, was talking to a therapist about it. And that was still like, I'm still, I was still in that triggered state. I don't know the best plan of action if I were to ever do it again, but I do know that that definitely probably kept me not in my best state for longer than necessary. But I did get scanned and that was good. Took me, uh, and unfortunately they never took me in at the emergency room and I had to uh, go do it two days later elsewhere. But it was just like, Huh. It was like, and then that was a whole nother mess. Like, um, apparently when you, if they think you have some sort of anxiety, they won't get you in. You have to use different words and stand up and being, that's a tough one too, being female. If they think you have like a, if they think you're having one thing, if they think you're hysterical or whatever, they will write you off. And it's like, I cannot be written off. And I was talking to the cardiologist about it and they're like, never do, you don't ever like, don't say those words. And they were like, you gotta, they will You've got to use like heart, you know, he's like, just say heart attack, even though it's not, you just use those words and you will get in. And I was like, oh, didn't know that. <laughs> oh, so he's like, there's that, you know, certain things. And it was just, and even all that, taking all that in, I'm analyzing this and being like surprised at the way that the healthcare, it's like, I kept noticing when I'm in this, when I was in this interesting state like here were all these things wrong at the camp and here were all these things wrong here and it was interesting because it was just I was pulled out of my normal routine and I kept noticing these like big problems <laughs> at various places and it just I couldn't get my brain to stop wanting to solve those problems so that's been funny say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill it's such a perfect case study on um, overstimulation and kind of how difficult it is to regulate our nervous systems when we are like tipped over the edge, right? Like I, you know, I always use the example with my kids of the, when you're, you know, a, a jostled cup. And if there's, if you're half full of water and you get jostled a little bit, it's fine. You recover quite easily. But when you're at, when you're at the full, when the water's at the rim, anytime a cup is jostled, it, everything comes tumbling out over and over and over again. And it's just like exponentially, it makes everything exponentially worse when you're in that state of overstimulation. And so you start to, like you said, you start to notice all the things that are going wrong and all of these things. And then just also like, um, you know, just not being able to like course correct or recover from anything at, at that point. Or even figure out how to, like you noticing it and you're like, I don't even know how to get what I need. <laughs> you know, like, how do I make this change? Like I need something to change. And you're not necessarily in the best state of mind to be able to like 
think of the most clear answer. Like when you're in a, if you're super stimulated, the some of the ideas that you have may not be the most concise or most like best because they're kind of just like you're just kind of grabbing it. Whatever. Which I guess is. Well, and I think it's probably why our body starts to go into these states of alarm and panic and like where our body really starts to speak up and be like, you have to listen to me, you need to stop. And we get sort of into this place where we're forced to shut down and clear our schedules and deal with the burnout because our body is screaming at us to be like, pay attention. Um, You know, we tried doing this gently and you're not paying attention. So now I'm going to put you into some sort of physical shutdown mode. Katie, you just mentioned something that was also so surprising and interesting to me when I'm when I was in that panic attack state. I have never been so clear and direct with what my needs were in that moment at that time ever. I felt like I was having a cardiac event. I immediately called the nurse. I said, come here now. Like I texted her. I said, you must come here now. I yelled over to the lady in the other room and saying, like, I have Marfan syndrome. Like this is, I'm having, I'm passing out. Like this is bad. Bam, bam, bam. And I was like using very clear directions, one word answers. And like, I did not need to explain anything. Like you don't need to know why all this stuff's happening, but I am like, this is what I need at this moment right now. Do your thing. So that was interesting because it was like, it was, um, I was definitely in like that fight or flight or whatever. Like I, when you think you might be in like a death zone and you're trying to like get yourself like it, that was actually a different experience. Like it was later on that I might've been thinking about all sorts of bigger ideas, but like I was focused and direct, like, this is exactly what I need in this moment. And we need to like, make sure I get some medical care because something's wrong. Right. I know. I've had similar experiences where, where my body has gone into that, like, you need to shut down mode. And for me, it's twice now where I've had started to get vertigo. Yeah. I had vertigo too. Yeah. That was also awesome. Right. And, and where I had to, you know, and that's been kind of the trigger for me to have to where I'm like, I literally can't function. So I have to stop everything. And then it's, then it becomes that like regulatory, um, elimination diet, right? Which is like how, okay, we have to just stop everything and then slowly bring things back. Um, but always managing that sense of overstimulation and managing get how quickly we can get dysregulated, um, when it comes to that. And knowing what it is now, and I I don't think it'll ever happen to me again, or at least nothing to that state because it would, I wouldn't allow it. I would never allow myself to lean into all that. Like I didn't realize how all these things were building, but just like you, when you're saying, Oh, now I have a thing. And when, as soon as I notice this, I do that. So like same thing, as soon as I'm noticing something different in my body or a tiredness or what have you, I now have like healthy solutions. And I know that, you know, you just need to be self-advocate. If you're feeling these things, you have to, you can't, who cares about the people pleasing? Like you need to or at least that's how I feel. I feel like I'm going to be taking those steps and doing, you know, I now know that there's a reason why I might be feeling these ways, or there's a reason why that I might need to have something different happen for me. And that's okay. I just will take those steps. So like, I won't be signing up for a situation where I, I won't be able to take a break if I don't need to. It's probably why I loved working from home so much. Cause if I ever did need a break, I could literally just go upstairs and take, go lay down. Like, there's probably reasons why I've been thriving uh, working from home and whatnot. But 
knowing that and yeah, just being able to be proactive about it has been really helpful. And I, I feel like now that I know what it is, it's like so much easier to adjust and make us or make a system. If I'm noticing something's causing consistent um, anxiety or kind of rolling my, you know, ruminating on something, like why am I ruminating on that? Okay, let's go make an adjustment or sub that out or do whatever I need to do because I don't need to feel that way. So it's been it's been pretty eye opening the last couple of years, and I feel like it's been great. Right. I just wish there were ways that we could develop healthy boundaries without having to have our a full physical breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Feeling like you're gonna die was not not great. <laughs> Right. That's why I'm like, let me be a cautionary tale to somebody else. <laughs> I, that's the reason I reached out to you is just to hope that like, I don't know if this story, my story will, obviously not everybody's going to have my, <laughs> no one's going to have my specifics, but you know, if some, if you find yourself in that state, just to be able to know, like, these are some things that I've learned the hard way. <laughs> yeah. And I think there's a lot of universal truth in just in terms of how your you know, experience is so indicative of how we can get ourselves into that state, right? How we can get to that place of, of complete breakdown and having, and, and how many different factors can play into all, you know, all of the different reactions that we might have and the physical side of it too. And yeah. And, and that this could be related to neurodivergency and not just, uh, anxiety or some of the things that we do get told by our medical providers. Oh, you're just being hysterical or, <laughs> you know, or all of the ways in which we can be dismissed as women. Yeah. And, you know, it's also been super great as I've been learning a lot about, I mean, I, I think just like you've mentioned in the past, you deep dived into all the things once you learned about it. I have too. And I've been, you know, I really love podcasts. So I've been listening to so many and I'll play, if I find one that's appropriate for my son, we'll, I'll play one with him and we've had a lot of amazing conversations and I feel like that openness I'm, I'm feeling, I mean, from what I can see, it just seems like he is going to be in such a better position to be able to communicate and get what he needs because he will know this is like, it's not going to be given to me this way. I need to ask for it or I need to have that. Yeah, right. Yeah, I definitely see that. I I feel that as a parent, too, where we're developing this language, we're starting to see like, what are these road signs, some of these warning signs, so that you don't get to the place where you're completely spinning out of control. And so how do we teach that to our kids to advocate for themselves and not to just keep pushing through and pushing through? And even just understanding why it might be happening in your brain. Like I've been listening to a lot of great uh, ones about stress. And I forgot the I could send you an info, a link for one of the the doctors that does one that some of the other ADHD people have interviewed. And that was super helpful to like understand how the brain worked and why the wiring was the way it was and what things doing what part. Just know, I mean, maybe I'm a little pretend scientist. I don't know. I find it fascinating. And it really helped me say, oh, okay. So in order to do that, all I need to do is like, bam, bam, bam. And that'll help bring me back to the, get that stress level back to equilibrium or restore, and especially where you want it to be getting restored. Um, having that restoration period, I think is probably the thing that had been missing for years and it's not missing anymore. I'm really, that's, I've made that a pretty huge priority. Awesome. So what are, what are some of the ways that you self-regulate? 
Um, well, I lay down when I feel like I could, there's definitely something that still happens physically to me from time to time. And I don't know, I've never been able to figure out like a trigger or something I can avoid. I don't really know what happens, but I'm noticing that when it does, I'm going to take a pause and take a break or take a deep breath. And it could just be just life. I don't really know why that happens, but it does. So that's just the deep breathing that's been helpful. And then, um, really knowing how not to like not ruminating. And I know it's like, how do you not ruminate? But I say, I'm going to put that, I'm going to put that on a list of things to do tomorrow, or I'm going to, you know, have that be a tomorrow thing. And I'm, I've been pretty good at sticking with it. Yeah, of course I might wake up with some ideas or whatever. I do take, I did just start taking, um, a, one, a medication that helps sleep, adds a little bit of help for sleep at night. If, um, if I am like, and I can usually tell like, oh, I've had a really stimulating or busy day. So that's been helpful. Um, being able to take that, um, it just uh, helps calm the mind. And I, I don't even take it every day. And I take like the smallest dose you can. Um, but that's been helpful. Um, and then going outside, focusing on the things that I want. So like, why did I want to go back and work at camp? Like, I actually am very successful and do make enough money. I was just, a ch- I'm just a cheapskate and didn't want to pay it. <laughs> so just I'm recognizing that that's okay to just pay the money for the thing that you want. Like that, giving yourself permission to do that. Like I have, that part of it's been weird. I have no idea why I'm so, I'm such a saver and I'm such a, like I don't overspend and I like won't buy the thing I want because it's $2 more expensive than the other thing. So I've just kind of been like, no, get the thing I want that's $2 more. Like, it's fine. So letting my, giving myself permission to give me the things that I want. And then taking steps, like, there's a lot of things you might feel, like the self-care side. So I've started taking a pottery class. I did an improv class, which was fantastically fun. Definitely recommend that. And doing some things that, for me, that can be completely focused on, that doesn't have me having to deal with coordinating anything for my child or my husband. And it's just something that I get to work on for me without being interrupted. I mean, even if like people are there, they might be chatting or whatever, but you're like, when you're at the place to do the pottery and throwing on the wheel, like you are focused on that. And that is what your goal is. Your goal is to make pottery for that hour, an hour and a half, whatever it is. I have found when I leave there, it's like, I feel so much better because I put all this, I can actually lean into something and do something that's enjoyable and fun for me. So those are some things. Um, and then really just, um, yeah, like get, making sure exercising. I started biking in the mornings. That's been great uh, because I can't take, because of my heart stuff, I can't take stimulants. And so I've been going out of my way to come up with plans for what I can take. So uh, the bike riding each morning has been super helpful and kind of, it's nice. It's like a, we wake up with nature and, you know, I get drop my son off at school, hop on the bike and go, you know. Sometimes I only go two miles, but usually once I start on two, then I'm like, oh, I'll keep going. And, you know, I'll just ride around the neighborhood. And then I'm like 10 miles in. So um, that usually that that happens far often. Um, So sometimes just getting started and saying, I'm just going to do at least two miles. And then you'll see what happens once you're out there. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Yeah. My morning, my morning walk with my husband is is a non-negotiable. That is, Yeah. Uh, well, we do it together because it's, I think it's a time for us to check in about the day or the week, you know, and it's also, that's one been one of the great things about working from home too, is just been able to have that time together every morning. And it's like, unless it's pouring rain, it just, it's, we do it. Uh, 
<laughs> and I, de- I don't think I would ever, if it was just me, I don't, I would find a reason not to, I'm sure. So I think more than anything else, I think the morning exercise has been the, the most helpful. If I could pick one thing. Yeah. And especially outside for some reason, there's something about like the birds chirping. And and even if I'm having to like bundle up and wear a huge jacket, like, I I don't know, it's still worth it. Like, I'm not going to go in the rain, but I've noticed the days that I don't do it. Um, or if it is raining or whatever, not, and I try to just work out inside, it's fine, but it's, this doesn't quite set me on such a positive footing forward. So, yeah. I know, right? I've actually heard some interesting theories about the visual stimulation of being outside in nature and the peripheral light stimulation that we receive when we're in nature that's similar to EMDR therapy, that there's something about the, the like, visual pulsing peripheral light stuff, uh, which makes sense to me. Cause I'm like, it's very, it's like a little brain massage. Uh, <laughs> um, anyway, that's another, that's another episode, right? <laughs> so you must be listening to science podcasts as well. Yeah. We, we like a lot of the same things. I should know whatever you listen to there. So I'm curious if you would rename ADHD to something else. Did you come up with a name? Oh, sort of. I could, it's not super catchy, but um, basically highly observant, creative thinkers. Okay. I like that um, for sure. Right. I think because that's one of the things I always feel like is like, what would be a name that I would have actually been drawn to before my diagnosis, because oftentimes when I think about like regulation and executive function, those are terms that I had any, I, I, I never would have thought, oh, that's me to a T. Uh, but the like overstimulation or any of the like chronic overwhelm, those ones I'm sort of like, oh yeah, that I definitely would have related to. Yes. Yeah, so I was trying to think of the positive, the, the positive side <laughs> the disorder part but i get that why we have to have it be a you know to talk about the negative to get our certain get services and, and uh whatnot but uh well that's awesome well thank you so much for sharing that fascinating story and um and and your experiences too i found that really really interesting and and so the your furniture company is called redhead furniture right redhead furniture design yeah and then i've been another thing i've been doing for fun for uh for myself has been doing more pet portraits and I've been getting kind of into that lately, which has been fun. And I was just putting out to some friends, like, do you think I should start selling these? Cause I used to just do them for like raising money for fundraisers and whatnot. But, um, I've, this is last week. I've put some stuff up and everyone's like, I I could have like 10 orders on things right now. So that's pretty fun. And that's, um, I've been posting those, um, Abby lane underscore design on Instagram. Um, so anyways, that's there. Oh, I'll put a link to that for sure. Uh, good to know. We'll probably be seeing more by the time. Uh, you know, this is like a very, very new uh, hyper-focus area. <laughs> we'll see how long I want to do it for. But as long as it's fun, I figure I'll do it for fun. You know, there's only so much time. As soon as something might get too busy, I, I probably won't stick with it. But as long as it keeps remaining fun, I'll probably do it as, you know, it's like a fun, relax. I find them meditative and relaxing to do. And so... As long as they stay that way, we're good. And if I start feeling pressure, then we'll do them. I don't need to do them. It's just fun. That's such a great way of approaching it. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, Abby. This has been really great. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Katie.
And there you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. Also, you know, we ADHDers crave feedback, and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. If you're a fan of the podcast, please take a moment to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible. And if that feels like too much and I get it, then just take a few seconds right now to give me a five-star rating or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this gift of neurodivergency. And they may still be struggling and don't even know why. And if you'd like to find out more about me and my one-on-one coaching for women with ADHD, head over to womenandadhd.com coaching. And you can always find that link in the show notes. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who discovered that she is not lazy or crazy or broken, but she has ADHD and she is now on the path to understanding her neurodiversity and finally using this gift to her advantage. Take care till then. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Okay, before we get started with today's episode, have you heard the awesome news? Llama Life now has an iOS app so you can take it with you wherever you go. I have been using Llama Life consistently on my computer for a year now. A year. That's unprecedented. That's like a lifetime in ADHD terms. And now with the new iOS app, I'm able to seamlessly transition between my computer and my iPhone so that my favorite little productivity coach is with me whenever I need it. So what is so special about Llama Life? Well, for starters, it's not a fancy new calendar or planner or complicated productivity management system. It's a time boxing, single tasking program that easily integrates with your already existing organizational systems. If you're like me and you struggle with time blindness or maintaining focus throughout your day, then this is the app for you. I love Llama Life because it's simple, effective, and beautifully designed. And dare I say, it makes even the most mundane chore more fun and colorful. If you want to check out the iOS app for yourself, head to the App Store for a free trial and start enjoying that Llama Life for yourself.